Hello, hello. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Shani Liang, who is a licensed clinical social worker. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I am a white, straight, cisgendered female and my pronouns are she, hers, and I have too much yarn. Much. I'm not gonna yeah no you have a good amount of yarn <laughs> I don't know man it's a lot oh <laughs> honestly I've only heard about the yarn I have not seen the yarn room okay. or the yarn corner so I I, I truly believe you um, it had, is I, a closet that has turned into a room oh solid all right and I'm Sarah an LPC from Pennsylvania transplant from South Jersey I am a cishet white woman and my pronouns are she her and I made a balsamic vinaigrette yesterday Ooh. and that's a big deal yeah how'd it go <laughs> it went well my husband did have to come in and say you have to stir this more enthusiastically okay. so that it emulsifies because i know what these words mean now because nice. what does emulsify say? mean i don't know i feel like that was a word oh, i was like yep <laughs> when people said it to me so I'm going to tell you, and no one's allowed to correct me, uh, cool. listeners or otherwise. Um, Don't so add it us. is when you have a fat combining with something else. Cool. And so like butter or butter or like a balsamic vinaigrette or an emulsion. And then the, the, most, the emulsion breaks when like the water and the fat separate. Mm. So, you know, when you open up your yogurt and there's a little water hanging out on the top. Yeah. That's because it's starting to break. Let's cool. stir it up. And I'm, I'm seeing a head nod. So cool. I'm feeling confident in the answer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know we'll what see. it means, honestly. So oh, fair enough. So I, have to, right, I have cool. to change my calendar because there's a picture of a scorpion on it. It's making me physically ill. <laughs> <sighs> That's okay. like Googling spiders and the images come up, but you can't. It's stop it's like a um, a zodiac calendar. So I think right now it's Scorpio. So that's why it's a scorpion. I'm not just like buying calendars with scorpions on them. Now it's a bow and arrow. So that's better. Beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. All right. Any um any fun things for you to share? Do you want? I was supposed to share closet? something. Yeah. So I, you know, when I was when I was working, I worked near a Michaels. So when I was needing a coping strategy I would just go and buy yarn and that was like before I realized that you have to buy like multiple skeins or cakes of the same yarn to like make a big project with it I was just like pretty and I just bought random <laughs> random things of yarn so I gotta like figure out what to do with it um mm -hmm. 
but you know, I'm, I'm working through it. I haven't bought yarn in a couple months, so that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It will be Black Friday soon, but I can't guarantee that I won't buy yarn then. I think that you are making things for your family and for people. And, you know, beginning of pandemic, you were making things for masks too. It's yeah. not as if these are just you activities, which would also be fine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> would be fine. But um, um, I, I definitely spent about, uh, no, I'm not going to say a number, but I've spent a lot of money on puzzles this year. That's nice. And I, I told you, I'm not, I'm just holding on to them. You know, I'm not into... I'm not comfortable trading or giving away puzzles yet. So, and that is truly a me centric activity. No one else gains anything from me doing puzzles, except maybe I'm in a better mood. Um, yeah. So you're welcome. Thank you. Everyone. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's just, you know, and like I it's, it was in boxes, but now those boxes have come out of the closet. They're just on the floor and there's yarn on top of them around them. I bought a lot of buttons recently and that's just in like boxes. I have to find, I was like, I don't have any tins. I need to get a tin. I feel like I, I buttons belong in tins. Um, but I might just put them in a big bag. That's what's exciting about me today. That's like such a nice American pastime is buttons in a tin. Yeah. Like I got to get some holiday cookies so I can finish up the tin. Yeah. Um, but like, put like jewelry in it for a couple months and then realize it's okay to throw it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cause like, what else do you keep? I can't like, I can't like crochet a basket for these buttons. Like it needs to have a top cause they're buttons. Mm -hmm. So also fun thing. I haven't like looked at them yet. So I'm very excited to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just got an assorted bunch of buttons. Um, so, cause I couldn't find my other buttons cause they're somewhere in the great yarn piles. Mm -hmm. So the, like the mountains, the it's mountains. seriously. Yeah. I mean, like there's, they're somewhat organized by like the weight of the yarn, which is like how thick it is. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's good. Hopefully we have some yarn enthusiasts listening and yeah, really like, yeah, man, I, those words uh, no. mm -hmm. got some worsted weight got some dk weight got some super bulky so anyway when we were on our trip in the beginning of the month my husband got we like went to the store and bought i got a puzzle obviously and i finished it in hours it was nice and i finished it pretty quickly i i bought it for the vacation though <laughs> like i yeah. bought it for like downtime and it's I don't know. I have a hard time pacing myself, but he bought himself a Lego set and he has since bought like three Lego sets for himself. He's found his, his piece. He's found his piece and doing Lego sets. And these sets are insane. They have, you know, thousands and thousands of pieces and they're so intricate and there's so much detail. And, you know, sometimes there's like little Easter eggs that only you know about because you built it. Yeah. Like, like the one thing he's building right now is like a trip, like you pick up a rock on the island. And there's like a little buried treasure under it, but you'd never know to pick it up. Only the builder knows. It's very cool. The architect. <laughs> um, I am all for adults making Legos. I agree. Embrace yeah. your inner child. Reparent that inner child too, just for like, you know, secondary yeah. gain. Everyone mm -hmm. should do that a little bit, right? Yep. Absolutely. 
You mentioned last time that you were going to have housekeeping, you think. Yeah, I can't remember what it was now. And that like wasn't that long ago that we did. Survivor Australia? Oh, it was the name of the Survivor Australia guy. Let me click, 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 click. His first name is Jonathan and his last name is La Paglia. Oh, well, there you go. House kept. He's also known for his roles as Frank B. I don't know who that is. So in the television series, Seven Days. No relation to the ring no I don't think so. it looks like a procedural drama oh it's a science fiction series based on the premise of time travel so that's exciting yes <laughs> no no he sounds like he's from the upn uh network which dates it to 1998 damn yeah what's last i watched upn or 1998 <laughs> Yeah. What did you the UPN turn into CW, right? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know. Is this a Google? I'm Googling. Maybe we'll get no, I don't think we need to. I'm already typing it. Talk further about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's it became CW. CW. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I don't have any corrections or omissions. Cool. I keeping track of it maybe next time we'll talk about emotions again yeah cool that sounds great all right well stay tuned after the break uh for our lesson Now it's time for our lesson. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our guest works in. Our sources for today's lesson is an article entitled The Legacy of Trauma, an emerging line of research in exploring how historical and cultural traumas affect survivors' children for generations to come by Tori DeAngelis, an article entitled How Does Inter- Intergenerational Trauma Work? Definition Studies and Examples by Kathy Vallee, and How Collective Trauma Impacts Your Health by Amy Morin, LCSW, as well as wikipedia.org. Trigger warnings for today's episode. We will be talking about the Holocaust that took place before and during World War II. We'll be talking about slavery and physical abuse. First, Joanna, we're going to start off with some frequently asked questions. Nice. Everyone is asking these questions. Great. Frequently. What is intergenerational trauma? It is the theory that a trauma that is experienced by one person in a family, for example, a parent or grandparent, can be passed down to future generations because of the way that the trauma epigenetically alters genes. How is intergenerational trauma passed on? Intergenerational trauma is believed to pass from one generation to the next through genetic changes in a person's DNA after they experience trauma. There is some evidence that these genetic markers are passed on to a person's offspring. And from the research, it seems like a lot of the uh, the epigenetic research is theoretical at this point. 
Final question, what is collective trauma? This is a traumatic event that is shared by a group of people. It may involve a small group like a family or it may involve an entire society. So we're talking both micro and macro level here. Yeah, like a pandemic or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the study of intergenerational trauma and its beginnings. Uh, one of the first articles to note the presence of intergenerational trauma appeared in 1966 in Canada's Mental Health when Canadian psychiatrist Vivian M. Rakoff, MD, and colleagues documented high rates of psychological distress among children of Holocaust survivors. Most studies have found distinctly high rates of these mental illnesses, but in some cases they find little or no effect at all. Other researchers are taking a broader view of how survivors and their offspring might be affected. In the early 1980s, Yael Denali, PhD, founder and co-founder and director of the Group Project for Holocaust Survivors and their children in New York, began writing about at least four adaptive styles that she and others observed among Holocaust survivors. Examples of these styles include, quote, victim, people who have difficulty moving on from the original trauma and are emotionally volatile and overprotective, and uh, numb, those who are emotionally detached, intolerant of weakness and others, and who maintain a, quote, conspiracy of silence within the family. Other styles include fighter and those who made it. In clinical group and community work, Danielli also observed specific behavior patterns among children of Holocaust survivors, including an overly protective stance towards their parents, a high need for control, an obsession with the Holocaust, and immature dependency. She called these reactions reparative adaptive impacts to highlight the notion that survivors' progeny use them to try to repair the world for their parents, their grandparents, and themselves, largely unconsciously. Joanna, do you remember when we had to read psychoanalytical no i'm looking at my bookshelf psychoanalytic diagnosis and we yes. had to we, we saw ourselves in everything like a little oh, bit yeah. everyone was like i do this i do this mm -hmm. so i definitely see myself a little just a tiny bit in like each of these survivor styles you know yeah. when they're talking about obviously like the victim maybe not numb as much but the like the overprotective being overprotective of maybe like a um somebody who has dealt with like a little more than you or somebody who seems to struggle with it or takes that victim survivor. Oof. Mm. It's very interesting. All right. Let's talk about how intergenerational trauma presents across ethnicities and cultures. In the mid to late 2000s, Brent Pizzo, a doctoral psychology student at Carleton University in Ottawa, was living in the Ukraine with his wife. Was living in Ukraine with his wife. He noted a subtle social hostility and mistrust among the population. In his conversations with people, Bizo heard references to the Holodomor, the mass starvation of millions of Soviet Ukrainians from 1932 to 1933, considered by many to be a intentional genocide orchestrated by Joseph Stalin's regime. He became curious about whether this horrific event continued to resonate with the people, leading Bizo to conduct a qualitative study among the Ukrainian families including those who had lived through the Holodomor, their children and their grandchildren. People spontaneously shared that they saw what they saw as transgenerational impacts from that time, including risky health behaviors, anxiety and shame, food hoarding, overeating, authoritarian parenting styles, high emotional neediness in the part of parents and low community trust and cohesiveness, what many describe as living in survival mode. 
researchers studying Native American and Canadian populations are likewise finding broad effects among children and grandchildren of survivors of massive cultural oppression. Massive. In 2014, massive. In 2014, review paper in transcultural psychiatry psychologist Amy Bombay, PhD, and colleagues examined studies looking at intergenerational effects of Indian boarding schools. Known more recently as Indian residential schools, Indian boarding schools were established in the United States and Canada during the early 19th through mid 20th centuries with a primary objective of, quote, civilizing, unquote, or assimilating Native American children and youth into Euro-American culture. In the process, these schools denigrated Native American culture and made children give up their languages and religion. At the same time, the schools provided a basic education in Euro-American subjects. The boarding schools were first established by Christian missionaries of various denominations. Um, so if anybody it, listening or knows somebody or needs just methods of learning how to argue with people that fetishize Native American cultures, you know, dressing up like them in Halloween or mocking their culture, just take a look, take a look at the history of um, yeah. Indian residential schools. And also keeping in mind that any type of fetishization endorses violence. And if you look at statistics of Native women in America and Canada that go missing or are assaulted or killed, you will see what fetishization does um, as a byproduct. All right, two large-scale national surveys included in the review found that children and, in some cases, grandchildren of those who attended these schools were more likely to report psychological distress, suicide attempts, experience learning difficulties, and turn to drug use than controls whose parents did not attend such schools. Hmm. Less directly studied is the multi-generational impact of slavery on African Americans, but an important line of re related research studies the relationship between ongoing racial discrimination and trauma. Monica Williams, PhD of the University of Connecticut, who has extensively explored this topic, recently developed a measure to assess anxiety related to racial discrimination. Williams and colleagues found that of 123 African-American students who took the measure, those who reported high rates of perceived discrimination also had higher rates than others of uncontrollable hyperarousal, feelings of alienation, worries about future negative events, and perceiving others as dangerous. Hyperarousal is like, if you think of like how like a cat would be if they're like tense or, you know, like on like a, like a loud noise would really um, startle them. Mm -hmm. Which living like that is suffering. Having yes. to live in hyperarousal is absolutely suffering. Yeah. Imagine being and like being parented by that and having to raise children. Yeah. Like it is, it's very difficult. And there's so many things that I learned through my own therapy that, you know, we pick up from our parents without even having words, like things that we, we fear and we're afraid of are, you know, things that we've picked up just from the body language of our parents or just from, you know, six tiny signals that we don't even perceive. Yeah, they're they're definitely their nonverbal cues or even their defenses that they use. Yeah. Like they don't have to say, hey, I'm afraid of this. We know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Uh, a current example, Williams says, is that the dread that many African American parents face in talking with sons about pol potential police encounters. 
Uh, quote, it's traumatizing for parents and it's traumatizing for kids, she says. This scenario is a large part of a legacy that she terms shared stress. The feeling that you have to manage everything within your own community because you don't know what you'll encounter in society at large. Except for studies related mainly to the Holocaust, the field is still relatively young and has many unknowns. While trauma researchers have made great strides in understanding and treating single episode and present life trauma, they are just beginning to explore the impact of intergenerational trauma and its expression. Yeah, there's so much work to be done. I remember that lesson we did a couple months back with um, mental health in African-American communities or just Black mm -hmm. communities across like since slavery. I, it feels like the info is there. So we encourage researchers, to please. Yeah. Please, please engage. That would be such important information for us to have and to use to help folks. Absolutely. Well, stay tuned as we welcome Shani uh, for our interview section. All right, welcome back. Today we have Shani Leong with us. She is a licensed clinical social worker in New York City. She's a proud Asian American trauma therapist that specializes in EMDR and psychoanalysis which helps adolescents and young women with life transitions and to overcome anxiety, depression, and attachment issues that hold them back in life. As a therapist who works with young Asian American women, she has noticed a pattern of perfectionism, pressure to perform, and people-pleasing until burnout and exhaustion. She teaches women to stop feeling small and start taking up space. Shani was born in Guangzhou, China, and immigrated to Pasadena, California at five years old, and then was raised for the rest of her life in Brooklyn uh, from the age of eight and on. She spoke Cantonese at home and spoke English at school. In July of 2021, she opened up her practice full-time. Prior, prior to private practice, she worked in a department of education as a school social worker in special education and outpatient mental health, inpatient mental health, group practice, mental health startup for senior centers through NYC Thrive, and mental health suicide crisis hotline. When she is not in session with her clients, she spends time with her cat Coco, singing karaoke, finding new places to eat, watching comedy, spending quality time with family and friends, attending her own therapy, and traveling around the world. Welcome, Shani. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. I was told that I have a uh, podcast voice, so Ooh. I'm going to test it out. It's exciting. You should put that on your bio. <laughs> Actually, I think that's how we'll advertise you. Listen, for the first time ever, the best podcast. <laughs> that's awesome. I love hearing what people do outside of work and being like, yeah, 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 I do that. I like that. I like that. This yeah, is I love eating. <laughs> Going to restaurants. <laughs> I too like my cats. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any cats, but I feel like I would like them. Yeah, they're cool. You got you got pet. But yeah, karaoke. I'd like to get back into that. I feel like or... I, I've never done enough karaoke. Yeah. I don't think there is a limit. Uh, yeah. But I've done like one. <laughs> my heart is like pumping fast as you talk about karaoke because like yeah. that's just like the love of my life and like. Uh -huh. Also, how I met my husband too. Like oh. we, I was just karaokeing, um, 
And we have all these live bars where you just sing with strangers and it's just the funnest thing ever. And, and like, we, we haven't done that like since the pandemic. And that's, that's like one thing like I miss. Yeah, absolutely. So you and your, you and your husband, were you, I mean, you don't have to reveal the story, but you shared it. So maybe a couple details, (laughs) how you met during karaoke. Oh, so actually, um, I, I go to this uh, meetup uh, for a lot of uh, New Yorkers listening. Uh, meetup.com is a great place to meet people. And we have uh, this karaoke meetup. And I just meet a lot of random people. And one day, uh, my husband happened to be there. And we met each other. And uh, he found out I was a therapist. And he, he got very interested. And and, you know, we just we, I just saw him. He was always conveniently like three feet away, like every time we karaoke and then we became <laughs> friends and then we started dating. Yeah. So you never know who you're going to. That's meet. amazing. Yeah. yeah I, but like another success story from Meetup, too. I agree. Yeah. It's a good resource. What a cool story. So I can imagine that karaoke is a huge part of your life. And like, what a cool part of your story to meet your partner through it. Ugh. Yes. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Sure. Uh, So my type of work is, my type of work is focusing a lot on just helping a lot of, a lot of Asian Americans find a voice that they always had. So I think when people say, finding your voice. It's like something that's not there, but you have a voice. It's just uh, owning that voice. And then uh, my goal is also doing deep soul work and just helping people um, heal from their pain and heal from their trauma and also past child wounds. And I, I started in psychoanalysis and I think it's like really interesting because when you think of psychoanalysis is like old white Jewish man, like Sigmund mm-hmm. Freud. And then, and then I, I look around in my Institute training and like, I, I was the diversity and uh, it was interesting. It was interesting, but I also like I found psychoanalysis really interesting, like a, a lot of the, the deep work. And it made I feel like it made my unconscious life very colorful because it bought it to conscious and all these patterns. And I was like, oh, why not? Why not like Chinese folks and immigrant folks like um, have that opportunity too? you know, to have a deep, conscious, rich life uh free from free from um compulsions and free from uh, free from like repetition and free from like all these uh patterns uh so i i got like i got very interested in in that but but then i felt that psychoanalysis takes forever like it takes years and years and i was like nobody has time for that so I started exploring EMDR and, and if at first I was like, what, what is this? Right. Um, and then I, I tried it on myself and I, I didn't even realize this, but 
I had a lot of uh, childhood trauma. Um, my parents used to hit me and I thought that was very like cultural. That's like very like that's what like happens when you have you grew up like with Chinese parents like immigrants. Um, but I, I think that it was not until I realized not every not every Chinese kid gets beat, you know, um, and some do and some don't. So I, I think a lot of my work, I would say, is is kind of like helping helping my past self, like clients that like just started their journey and to um, learning about themselves, figuring out why they do all these irrational behaviors, or like you said, um, why are they hyper aroused? You know, that's like a common symptom or, or why are they, um, why are they trying to be a model minority? Um, that's a term uh, coin. I think like back in the 1980s where um, Asians or Asian Americans are, are like the model of all the different minorities because uh, the stereotypes are we're studious, we're diligent, we're quiet, we shut up and we do our work. Um, but that is a very toxic term because, because um, it keeps us quiet. It keeps us um, not being able to have opportunities to to stand up. Um, we're we're models, so we're we're actually working very hard, and it's almost like a codependent relationship that we are um, we are codependent in in putting our needs and putting our wants aside, so the white supremacy so we can serve the white supremacy. Yeah. And, and serving it through like meritocracy. And like you said, that the model minority, what, what a, what a important concept for everybody to understand. Like, you know, you're only contributing if you are, if you are perfect, like the intro said it, like that mm -hmm. codependency piece is so important. That's really great. Yeah. I think that's a great answer. It hit me hard um, the other day. Uh, I was just thinking like, oh, shit, you know, being uh, a Chinese uh, woman in United States, like, uh, like, I was kind of like groomed to be codependent, you know, my culture is codependent, like mm -hmm. as a what I'm saying is like, as as like a Chinese girl, like, my mom and dad would tell me like, you, you have to like, put your needs ahead of others, you have to be respectful, you have to be grateful for what you're for what you've given, you know, and, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, like, like, fuck that, why I want to be unapologetic, you know, like, I, I deserve these things, like, I worked hard for it, why should I be gratitude, be grateful just for you giving me like a, like a small piece of uh, my reward, you know, yeah, fuck that indeed. <laughs> Yeah, and fuck racism. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In case anyone was wondering. Fuck yeah. racism. Fuck oppression. And also the passed on oppression too. Like I I think that like every every culture can experience that a little bit, especially women in every culture is mm -hmm. a mother figure or just an older woman saying, like, listen, 
I'm not going to encourage you to be strong. I'm not going to encourage you to seek out more because it was dangerous for me. It seems less dangerous for you, but I still don't want you to risk it. And you aren't really worth it also. You know, it's just like, it's this like jailed protection, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, you know, speaking of intergenerational trauma, um, I was just thinking about, I was just thinking about, you know, so many of my, uh, so many of like my friends, clients would tell me like their, their parents would tell them, please like stay quiet, like don't, don't get into trouble, um, you know, um, but I, I think of it very differently now. It's okay to get into good trouble. You know, it's okay to speak up um, when, when you feel very passionate about it, because what happened, I think what happened was a lot of my friend's generation, like their parents and grandparents, they get executed if they speak up, right? Uh, in China, you can't talk about what happened at the Tiananmen Square that's wiped out. The government listens in, you know, you get persecuted. And oftentimes you have to hire your daughters if you live in a small village because you can't have more than one kid or otherwise uh, you have to pay government tax. Um, you know, shit gets deep. Um, I remember one of my friend told me um, her great grandmother tried to drown her when she oh, lived in, in the village because having an extra mouth to feed means a liability and she's not a son. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was her college essay, actually. She, she wrote about how... Um, you know, like I, I'm American now and I want to be a confident woman. I want to be a, like a woman with value and not just a, somebody, a mouth to feed, like a woman that is like drowned. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, How metaphoric that is too. Oof. Yeah. I, like obviously like the assault and the, the personification of you just being a mouth to feed and a burden and you can't I don't know. There, there, you're right. That's deep. There's a lot there. Yeah, I, I find that it's so hard. I think being a, a Chinese American therapist, because I think a lot of these clients come to me because I'm, I'm Chinese and I'm a woman. So they're like, you get it. You get it, Shawnee. But I was like, but it's like that what they don't get is that like the, the trauma and the shit is so deep that sometimes Sometimes when they open it, it's like a lid and it just explodes. Mm -hmm. And and it's like they realize, oh, I don't want to go too deep. Like, oh my God, this like let let's shut this lid and I feel better now, like four to eight sessions. It because it's just like so much stuff that if if they open it, they they drown in their trauma and emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our role as the therapist to offer them those skills so that they don't drown or that so the drowning itself is so that it doesn't kill them. Mm -hmm. Just giving them that skill and the strength to be able to manage when all of that comes up. And we, I mean, if we've, I think we've all, all three of us have been in therapy and we understand that every couple of years shit can come up. Right, right. Stage of life you are facing, like you're kind of having to reface your trauma, but you have more skills each time you go back, but it's also just kind of learning how to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. 
And, and therapy saved my life. I, I would say I would not be sitting here and I would not, I would be a different person. I, I was very lucky. I, I spent most of my twenties like in therapy and I, I did it because at first I had depression and I didn't understand what that was. Right. And, and I think that going to therapy, that concept was very foreign to me. I, I thought I was losing my shit, but then I found out my, my friend, my other friend and my other friend who also was Chinese, they were also secretly going to therapy for depression too. And um, later on, I think, I think that like, uh, I just went to therapy and it uncovered more and more and more and more like stuff. Um, and, and it really, I think it really helped me with forming my identity and my purpose. And, and I was like, I, I want to give that, like, I want to give that gift of therapy to others as well. Yeah. That's a good line. And one of my favorite therapy books, The Gift of Therapy. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite book too. Yeah, I love so that good. <laughs> it's a good reference for, for, for beginning therapists. And also if you are a client and you want to kind of get insight into, you know, what, not like what's on your therapist's mind, but also like what they're having to consider that can be very helpful. Yeah. I, I like that Yalom, um, he, he does experiential therapy and that's kind of like the stuff that I I've been kind of digging my little rabbit hole into. Cause, um, I started out in psychoanalysis and that gave me such a, like a beautiful foundation. It's like one of the most like it, I would say psychoanalysis is my ex-wife. Like I, I loved her. <laughs> um, she like, it gave me like such a deep, really deep, <laughs> like deep foundation, understanding most complex, most long lasting uh, trauma, sorry, a trauma therapist Freud was, and also like just the history of therapies. Mm-hmm. But then experiential is like more like a playground. It's like really interesting. It, it's very like, here and now in the room and and I've been getting into uh, AEDP uh, accelerated experiential dynamic therapy and also EMDR and it's it's so much faster and I and it's it's so um, relational it's based on like healing the attachment wound and doing um, the undoing the aloneness and I think that a lot of the the clients that come to me, they don't they don't know how to have that uh, intimacy and undoing that aloneness. Can you talk a little bit about EMDR? I know that a lot of therapists listening maybe want to get the train. Myself included, I'm like signing up for training actually this month, and also sure. probably potential clients want to hear a little bit about it if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Um, Wow. Uh, EMDR, I, I feel like is also a gift because like prior to EMDR, um, we had like Judith Herman, we had like um, her research on like narrative trauma therapy. Uh, but, but before that, we just had to talk about our trauma. Uh, and, and then, and then um, the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm came in and then they did a lot of of research. Vanderkirk did a lot of research on body scans and found out like 
um, listen, talking about it doesn't help. Okay. Like you have to do, you have to do a lot of like body work and, you know, a lot of trauma therapists got it right, but we also, they also got it wrong on a lot of things. And, and it's nice because now we have like research to, to back it up. Um, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing EMDR. It sounds really fancy, but what it is, is like, it's really just um, activating um, this part of your, it's called a limbic system. And limbic system is just, it's just a fancy name saying like, it's a small part in your brain that holds all that bad shit. And, and basically it's kind of like popping that container open and releasing that out in the world <laughs> and then putting in like better stuff, like good stuff in. Um, and it's EMDR is not really so much, I think, uh, I don't, not so much like talk therapy is basically you are using the bilateral stimulation of either moving your eyes left and right, or you're tapping or listening to different tones. But, but while you think about, when you think about the, the memory, the body sensation and the, and like the worst image, worst image of it and the emotions that come along with it, because it's trauma, you're already activated. Your, your whole body feels it. And, and you're through the bilateral stimulation, Francine Shapiro, she's the one that invented it. She found out that your brain is, you, is at like activated through the bilateral stimulation, it's left brain and right brain. Mm. And, you, and, the, and you're able to process the, the memories very easily. Um, a, good, a good way to describe it is like, um, you have a shredder and when you have trauma, it's like a bulk of paper and you can't shred it but EMDR is kind of like putting two pieces of paper at a time so you can like shred through and once you shred the paper your brain is like less heavy it it doesn't it, it's unstuck it doesn't feel like the trauma was just yesterday it like passed and it doesn't bother you anymore that is so great. And your yeah. visualizations are perfect. <laughs> every, every metaphor is perfect. That's great. I'm so glad because I think oftentimes when people come to me for EMDR, I have to explain it. And I feel like none of those words are English. So I had to like simplify it to people, yeah. just like normal <laughs> people, just because they're tired. I, I mean, like if you ever had PTSD, you don't have the energy to, to like look up terms, like just tell me what it is and if you can help me. Yeah. And just keep it simple. Yeah. So you started your private practice in summer of 2021. Did the pandemic play any part in that? Totally. I feel like I feel like if it wasn't the pandemic, I, I wouldn't have started my private practice. I think what happened was um, I had a lot of time like after, after work and I was working uh, remotely at that time. So I, I just, uh, I just set up, I just set it up and opened my business. And, and uh, I think during that time, uh, you know, it was a lot, it was, it's a lot of um, 
collective trauma. I think everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone was just feeling it like the, it's all, it's almost so interesting because as I was listening to a lot of my clients, it's like the same story, but a different version of the same story. Um, And that I think, I think that like the pandemic made it easy because I didn't have to rent a office space and New York office space rents are like $2,000, $3,000 just like for, for like a small office in the city. So that made it really easy. And then, and then also the, the pandemic, you know, there was like a high demand for, for therapy but then I was also really tired. I, I think that I think it, it didn't hit me until last summer. I was like, oh, like I'm experiencing burnout. Like I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like all I wanted to do was just like sleep, sleep and, and like watch TV and, and like not nothing, nothing like mental health related because it was just like everywhere. Yeah. A lot, I think a lot of therapists were, were burnt out too much. I, I agree. I think that 2020 will definitely be a year that therapists collectively made the most money, but also a year when so many therapists left the field or decided to cut back, you know, cut back completely, which not worth it. Not, I mean, not it's, worth- it's a trend I'm seeing like on the Facebook groups I'm in of just people being like, what else can I do? I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. And when I, when I see that, I'm like, oh no, like, no, 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 no. Like don't, don't leave, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we need each other. We, and we need more of us definitely, but also we, we need to be healthy. To stop. Yeah. The world needs to stop. And yes, we need to be healthy. Absolutely. I mean, I almost, I mean, when I, when I was like quit my job and I was in between, I, I almost was like, I should maybe do something else. <laughs> but uh, Sarah had already started her private practice and I was like, all right, Sarah's doing it. I can do it. I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the reason I did it was because I, the the group practice I was working for was overworking me and mm-hmm. and like unapologetically and I was like this you know at one point I enjoyed doing this so I'm just gonna yeah kind of channel that again and do and do it on my own and man but yeah, dude Shani not having to pay for an office space the overhead it's so it's great not having to pay for it you're yeah. absolutely right oh all right. How, oh yeah. Good transition. How do you approach self-care for yourself? Obviously. Yeah. So, so like self-care, um, my self-care is just doing less. Um, yes. I, I find that like, I find that oftentimes when, when you think about self-care, people make a long comprehensive prescription of things to do. And I, I find that you end up burned out just from self-caring, you know, acupuncture appointment, therapy appointment, massage, like um, I'm going to do yoga. And um, I, I find that what what helps me really is just to slow, like slow the fuck down and just really um, just really like 
have some spaces like throughout the day where I can just like decide what I want to do at that time. And, and I think for me, my self-care is like no more than no more than four to five clients a day because like it gives me like more time to just do other things besides therapy. And it also gives me um, like time to process my sessions. Like I can actually think about it, conceptualize it, um, like what happened, you know, instead of like back-to-back sessions. So I, I actually, yeah, I'm the type of therapist where I'll see you and then take an hour to process it. <laughs> And then something else. Yeah, but I think I think that's a privilege and it's a luxury that I I think a lot of therapists don't have, Mm -hmm. but should have. Um indeed. Yeah. 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 Because you're doing like you're doing soul work. Actually, the word psyche means soul in Greek. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can't do soul work when your soul is weary and exhausted. Yeah. You can't give. Yeah. what you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, forgiving yourself for that too, is also so important. I'm glad we're talking about this. Cause I think this humanizes us further because I definitely yeah. every, at least once a month, I will have a very, very hard session, whether mm-hmm. it's the content that's being shared, maybe it's really similar to my experience, or maybe it's just, you know, so unbelievably difficult what the person is going through, but I, I will, I'm able to and this is definitely compartmentalization, but I'm able to hold it until mm-hmm. the end of the day. But then I will, you know, my body, it's like, it's like all of a sudden you like forget that you're hungry until you get into the kitchen and you're like, holy shit, I'm starving. <laughs> yeah. But like day, I, I can like go into my, you know, the room next to my office, which is also like a privileged thing that I have this extra space and I'll just like, mm-hmm. cry. and you Aww, know, great. Um, like what's you know I'm like give me a minute (laughs) and you know he's fine with that he understands that it's what I need to do but like being able to do that is so important and I think it's also completely normal and okay for us to do that as long as we actually are emoting and expressing and analyzing what is too much for us and what is just us reacting to something yeah totally I I resonate with you thank you so much for for sharing that Mm -hmm. I I think something really interesting hit me because, you know, um, I, I did agency work, then I did city work. And, and I, uh, one thing you don't know about me is that for, from, from 20, 2006 till now, I held two jobs and I went to school. So I was like doing uh, three things and, and I wasn't burning out. But, but I think that just last summer, I it finally, like, I hit it. I hit my low. Like, ev- everything, I was getting headaches. Like, everything felt like a mountain to, to get through. Like, not like I'm climbing a mountain because Shawnee hates hiking. Um, it's an emotional <laughs> climb. Oh, and, yeah. and I just couldn't get up there anymore. And I was like, why? And... And I think now, now that I'm, I'm scaling back and I'm not, not like seeing as much clients. Um, I, I didn't know this, but like, like I was very numb, numb to, to the, the pain. So, so now I'm feeling things really deeply. Like, like I would, I would cry over 
I would like cry over like the simplest things. Um, it's, it's like, I, I would just like feel things like so, so deeply that, that before I, I, I wasn't the type that, that would cry as much, but now, now it's embarrassing. Like I would take the, the bus to, to Flushing and I'm like listening to Adele's new song, like easy on me. I was like, yeah, go easy on me. And then I start like crying, like on the bus. Uh, and I was like, this is so good. I'm going to listen to it again. And, uh, and then I'm like, I, I totally do that, that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like that woman like crying like on the, on the bus. Like, it's such a good song. And my husband's looking at me like, are you okay? <laughs> so you have become a highly sensitive person. I've never heard of that happening, but I, that, I do that too. And it's because I'm just sensitive. Like any yeah. provoking, like music, I, I can't like, I can't listen to music around a lot of people because I'll start like I'll start yeah. crying. Certain scenes in movies that are meant to provoke emotion. Oh my gosh! If it's trash. Even if it's terrible, I will start. If it's like sobbing. Benjamin Button. I might need to leave the room and just weep <laughs> for like twenty episode, minutes. Every other episode of Shit's Creek, I cry like you know in the formative <laughs> seasons. But I yeah, it's you when something is meant to have to give me an emotional reaction. Boy oh, oh boy, gosh. I I I, <laughs> I watched the. Uh, the part in survivor where they bring people's families yesterday. <laughs> and I was like, just about to take a nap. And I was like, I'll put this on in the background. And then I just ended up crying for 30 minutes instead of taking a nap because like, I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Well, welcome to the highly sensitive person club, Shani. Yay. I think I was always that as a little girl, but then my mom was like, no, like, like you have to like get stronger, like don't be so sensitive. Mm. Um, and I, I think I put put that away. But but then I I I think about you know Adele's song, you know, like now I have time to feel the world around me. And I'm like, damn, I'm feeling it's it's too too much feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think part of being overworked is that you do kind of have to become numb because like if you were to feel everything all the way would you wouldn't be able to do it yeah totally I I think I think it's like it's like a factory out there like Mm. just the amount of clients that you you have to see in outpatient clinic it's it's not healthy yeah yeah I don't think I would have had time to like cry for 30 minutes because of you know the touching family visits on survivor mm-hmm. yeah I, I just also wanted to say like if anyone's like listening right now and you know feel feel very feel very touched and you know uh I, yeah I, I think that like you know you know therapy is expensive but but if you can overlook that it saves your life and it it's sacred and it's 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 really it's a really like it's a very like holy type of uh meaningful type of connection and intimacy that you'll you'll never get and you'll also learn so much about yourself it's like deeper work um I I don't know how else to describe it but you know just give it a chance yeah yeah you're worth it demand a super bill from your therapist um, we can do there it. There are so many ways to make it more accessible now, and that's true. There are, there are a lot of therapists that are full have you know work not through insurance, but do have some sliding scale spots. So just look, 
Just mm-hmm. search on, don't search on psychology today. Search on a website that doesn't have millions of therapists. Look on inclusive therapists or look on Therapy Den or Thriving Campus. You know, there are a lot of options that are not just or a lot of care, options yeah. websites, Zen Care. There are yeah. a lot of options and websites that will actually match you to somebody who is going to meet your needs. And shop around too. You're worth finding somebody who fits for you. I mean, like that's, I appreciate it the most when clients are like, all right, I'm going to call you back later. Cause I'm checking on other places. Like, please, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have a therapist that is personalizing that and getting sensitive about that and wants you to just stay with them, then that's not a good fit. A good therapist will know that if you do not feel comfortable, it is not their job to make you feel comfortable if you don't. And, and Sarah, there's a resource that you have that you've given me about calling insurance companies and like some of the language to use. I think we should add that as a resource to this, to our resource webpage and then also to this episode because I've had clients use it to very, like a very successful degree. Yeah, absolutely. So, and just to, for people listening now, Zencare has a very good blog post and essentially like a script for what to use insurance company to ask about out-of-network benefits. And also there's an app you can use. The app is called Reimbursify. So Reimbursify. And you can use that to enter in your information and they can help you to get your money reimbursed. It is so cool and it works. It is a legitimate, legitimately helpful app. Yep. Therapy for everyone. Yay. Yeah. It's like if you go get your teeth checked and your, you know, uh, vagina checked you know mm-hmm. why not you know check also your brain check yeah, your brain I agree check your brain yeah. yeah yeah and if you're spending you know obviously things are not accessible to everybody but if you are spending money on something else that maybe you could be spending the money on therapy just for a couple months we're not talking a lifetime commitment here even if it's for a couple months just make the switch you're worth it hashtag yeah <laughs> Um, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? We rebranded guilty pleasure. I keep forgetting. Um, what's something that like you really love, but are a little embarrassed to talk about? I've been waiting for this question, but <laughs> I, I'm just so embarrassed of it that like, <laughs> I think I, I would just say it and then like, uh, just like shut it down. Like I'm not, I'm not going to listen or I'm not even going to look at you guys, okay, but we'll, my- we'll look away too. My guilty pleasure, this is super embarrassing. Is I, I really like watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. <laughs> you were like the fourth person to give that answer. So yeah, don't me. worry about it. <laughs> I sometimes get get like other women and men tell me like, oh my God, love that too. And I'm like, oh, thank God. But then I also have some people are like, why? Like, it's total trash. And I'm like, I'm like, that's the point. Like, it's like, you don't have to think and, and you get to see like how, how they live their life, you know? And it's so, I I feel like it's so crazy because it's, it's not unusual, but like the Kardashians are kind of like Royals of of America. Cause they, they're just so rich. It's like money, make more money. And as they're just sitting down, they're just making millions as they're breathing in air and I'm like dang like 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 what can I learn from them like like that is like so cool like like if they could do it like I can do it too 
I gotta get that passive income. If Kardashians are listening, I would love to be your therapist. Oh yeah, come to I'm, Pennsylvania too. I am wondering what would happen to get them to listen, but yeah, I mean we've mentioned them certainly it's, enough. Yeah, it could happen. Like <laughs> Jeff Probst is probably listening right now, you know, or like filling out some type of restraining order. restraining order again. <laughs> We'll just start. We'll just start uh, go- going on Jonathan Lapaglia next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I like, I like procedural shows that are like kind of a little bit propaganda. So I get it. Like, I, I'm, I'm into like stuff that maybe on paper I don't want to be into. <laughs> so I get kind of that, just like seeking pleasure and joy and things that maybe don't. You're not sure like where the substance comes from. Yeah, no judgment. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to get the latest season, but but I but it's not free, so I'm I'm trying to get like <laughs> I'll wait till Hulu has it. Oh, is it on Hulu? Is no, not where, yet. Where do they um well I guess I mean where do they put their episodes? I don't I think I think they have a very fancy outlet. It's like it's like on on like a paid YouTube TV or something like that. Well that's how they're making money while breathing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Let's all start a YouTube TV TV show. Yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't wear that much makeup if we have to. I would. I would wear none, like I usually do, and then just look like a zombie the whole time. Nice. But I'll normalize not wearing makeup on TV. Yeah, I like that. How's that? Yeah, that's, that's our that's our hook. I love it. <laughs> all right, Shani, what is your least favorite therapy phrase? Oh, um. I, I have one. I, I have a lot of uh, therapy phrase I don't like. I, I think one that I don't like is the oxygen mask one. <laughs> yes. Every time I hear it, I, I just want to like slap myself. <laughs> and and for I travel to another dimension and not come back. <laughs> like, it, uh, does the, for the listeners, it's the one that they always tell you like, oh, you have to put on your own oxygen mask first on the plane before you can help others. I mean, it works. It, it does the job. It's like one of those things that does the job, but but you just don't like it because it's so corny. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I definitely have used it in the past. Mm-hmm. No, I think I used it like on like, Friday. Like, but you it's- know how when you're on a plane and the oxygen masks fall down and they tell you? <laughs> yeah. like, And they're like, yes, I know. That is oh, not okay. Just then let me not use therapy. that metaphor. Uh, shit. that was awesome. my therapy yeah. voice for everyone <laughs> yeah the other day uh somebody somebody who else do I answer the phone for the other day my husband called me and I I was like oh okay hi and he's like why are you talking like <laughs> <laughs> my bad I just got off a client call and yeah. um, I was just talking like this and it was okay you know it's and it's okay and you're forgiven yeah, <laughs> yeah we're authentic oh. Yeah, it's cool. Well, it's just like <laughs> our other mode of operating is like, is yeah, that calm. you know, if I'm, I, you know, when I used to like answer the phone for the music store I worked at, like music and arts, this is Joanna, you know, like that's what I would say. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, beautiful. So I used to work for music and arts. Nice. There you go. Yep. All right. What's next? Let's see. Uh, What's your favorite therapy outfit? This one. I w- I've been really admiring that 
um sweater vest and I was like I need to make myself a sweater vest I'm it looks yeah. very comfortable I um, really like um I really like cashmere's and alpaca mm-hmm. this one's hand knit in Peru I was wondering because it looked very hand knit like it looked uh, very quality <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just sitting I, here the whole time being like did she make it I don't know <laughs> no no this is hand knit by people a woman in Peru and and they give uh good wages to them so they can That's make a living great. so I pay like a little extra um you know extra zero but but it's like to it's like to help them yeah and it looks yeah. amazing and it looks comfortable I've been admiring it this whole time so oh, thank you Johan. I want to show you um I want to show you this too um this one is made in I made in um Turkey <gasps> oh wow Oh my goodness. Oh my God. <laughs> that looks amazing. That is gorgeous. I love it. It's also made a hundred percent alpaca too. So wow. for the listener, we are seeing it makes me feel like a flower fairy. Yeah, you maybe have to send us a picture of that so we can post. Yes, it. we can share that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's so good. All right, Shani, any questions that you want to ask us? Yes, I do. Okay. Um okay. I want to know. Um is there a book that changed your life? Oh, hang on. A book that changed my life. Or just like changed, like it was like a holy shit, like holy, you know, like holy cow moment where you just like thought of the world very differently after reading it. Yeah. Um, and I reference I can't think of the it the same anymore. <laughs> I Joanna probably has heard me talk about this book a million times, um, but the book is called Word Slut and it's by Amanda Montel. And she talks about uh, linguistics in America changing or, you know, Western linguistics changing over the course of the last couple of centuries and how we, how it is not in, it's inherently, you know, how our language is inherently racist and sexist and how it's transitioning Mm. to become female centric and, um, you know, how we, how we oppress people who speak like they sound poor or speak like, like we, we think that we think that grammar has some type of association with morality. Like we give people a hard time about grammar as if that's something like, it's something like an ethical choice that they made and how we oppress people for speaking differently than us. Um, How women speak differently than men Mm -hmm. and how our communication styles are completely different, but just as effective. Um, the origins of like the quote gay voice and how it comes from like cosmopolitan New York and that 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 voice comes across the country is through you know media it's it's such a cool book and it really opened my eyes up to just like classism within the way we speak to each other and just the oppressive origins of the words we use every day so I stopped saying I stopped using a lot of phrases after that book Um, so yeah that is the one and then again, that's Word Slut by Amanda Montel. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it down yeah, as like a book that a book that I will read. Awesome. So this isn't a book I've finished yet, but I already am like, oh, uh, it's called The Fuck It Diet by Carolyn Dooner. Um, mm-hmm. It is, I mean, the first yeah, book she it. talks, yeah, she talks about, uh, it's like a whole anti-diet culture book. Um, she talks about this, I can't remember the name, it's like, the Minnesota starvation experiment or something like that. 
Um, that could be like totally correct, but it could be totally wrong. And um, like after I think World War II, they wanted to see, or World War One. I, I can't remember which world, after a war, they wanted to see like how to help people get back from starvation. So they fed like a bunch of men 1600 calories 1600 calories was considered starving and it fucked them up it with you know it it just like they only thought about food they would try to escape and go get food 1600 calories so if we think about like what we're doing now with like our diet culture and what i've done it's like whoa maybe that's why i think about food all the time is because i've been starving myself um and uh it's really really good it's hard to like Mm -hmm. internalize and it's probably Mm -hmm. a book I'm gonna read more than once but I was hooked after that experiment after she talked about the experiment because I was like that is nuts yeah so that is yeah highly recommend it my trainer recommended it uh I have a health at every size trainer and she recommended it we can, oh yes. Anybody, anybody going through personal training, if your trainer tries to get you to do more exercises to get rid of belly fat or reduce fat, fucking fire them. Do not, do not. That is not what, that is not what health is. Um, anybody mm-hmm. that tells you you need to lose weight, but doesn't have a medical reason for why you need to lose weight uh, can fuck off. So, and I got, I like my cholesterol went up while I was dieting. So I got sicker, sicker. I mean, like mm-hmm. <laughs> like worse things were happening to me uh as I was dieting so um yes. I would recommend that book and it's That's a fun nice. book to just like say you know can you say the title one more time I'm it's the it fuck it diet fuck it diet. I've never dieted well that's a lie I did it for one day and and I gave up because I I had eczema and I was like in the rabbit hole of YouTubes and people tell you like no, no. Basically, everything in my Chinese diet is like gonna kill me. I was like, what? I was like, no. I was like, no noodles, like no carbs, no rice, no soy sauce. I was like, no soy sauce. It was like every everything I eat has soy sauce. I was like, my whole life is like <laughs> a lie. And I was like, I can't take this. And I tried it for one day. I think I just had like pumpkin. I, I think it was like pumpkin and carrot and stuff. I was like, I'm so miserable. The rejection of rice is so weird. I don't understand it. It's something that someone at every, every socioeconomic status can eat in half of the world and they eat it all day, every day. Yes. I don't, I. Yeah. And, and what I'll say is that it's, I, right now I'm going through like challenging diet culture and it's hard because like we are brought up in that culture. So it, mm-hmm. it's like, it feels very like sticky and weird and sometimes painful. Yeah. I, I like for me, because I grew up in Guangzhou, which is kind of like, kind of like, I would say kind of like, it's like the Paris of Europe. It's like known for like eating they have a saying um you eat in Guangzhou um live in Hangzhou and then you uh you die in and some other zoo I forgot but <laughs> but like but like everyone every Asian knows like I am from like you know I'm from the place where the food is good you know mm-hmm. so so you know it's like I my tongue is like so bitchy that because like I just had like <laughs> really really good food that 
that like it drives I think it drives my husband crazy because I'm not I'm not like I don't have diet I'm not selective like I would eat cow tongue on a taco and love it right no no issues but I I refuse to eat like bad cow tongue you know like I I get you I want the good langua once I like yeah once I like started living in a city and I was like oh this is good food I like could not eat like you've microwaved this (laughs) I know it I don't want it Uh, oh damn (laughs) are there any resources that you'd like to share with us oh yes um so I I wanted to share I want to share this book for for a lot of people. It's called Transforming the Living Legacy of Trauma, a workbook for survivors and therapists by Janina Fisher, PhD. This is a really good book. And for my Asians out there, I wanted to also share uh, Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. It's an it's a one of times a best nonfiction book of the year, and they're actually making a a Netflix show out. Not Netflix. I don't want to guess Sue. It's making a show out of this. I don't know from. I don't think you have to worry about Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so good. I started my book club for this. Um, I have a I have a therapist in Spain meeting with us, New York. And, and we're just going over this stuff, um, like her, her writing, she's a poet and, and like, she, I think she like puts your whole experiencing experience and words, but like, it's so eloquent. Like she's just such, such a good, like such a good, like voice, like her voice is like amazing. That is so good. We will put yeah, that thank on. You. We'll put that on our resources page. All right. Would you like to plug anything, your website, your Instagram, or a cause that's important to you or anything like that? Yes. Um, so if you guys are listening and and you're just like, oh my God, like I, I want to talk to her, like she seems so interesting, or like <laughs> I, I want to become a client. Or I just want, you know, I just want to be friends with you. Um, check out therapywithshawnee.com. It's therapy. Uh, I don't think I need to spell it, uh, but my name is S-H-A-N-N-I.com. Therapywithshawnee.com. And feel, feel free to uh, reach out to me. Or if you just want to, like, need help finding a therapist, like, reach out to me. I'm happy to give you resources. Amazing. Great. All right. Thank you. Um, are we ready for our final question? Pretty excited about this one. Heck yeah, I'm ready. All right. So this is our, would you rather question? Um, would you rather backpack around the world for six months with very little money or stay in a luxurious resort, all expenses paid for two weeks? Um, the second one luxurious resort. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not your hiking girl. I, I can do it like emotionally, right? But, <laughs> but like, uh, like, I like the idea of it. But like, if, if you give me no money and, and make me backpack, I will, I will not survive. I, I would like, like, I would lose that squid, you know, squid game very quick. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> 
How about you say, well, I think you could tell by the way I read it, which one I would choose. And it's the luxury resort because yes. (laughs) (laughs) Of answer. Um, I would backpack because food, if you go to the right places that are not super commercialized and touristy, the food's cheap. And if I have enough money for like a hostel that the door locks, I feel like I'll be okay. And I can bring a weapon with me in case of you know, being a lady alone traveling, I assume I'd be alone. Also, whenever I'm highly pampered, I'm just like covered in guilt. So I'm, I'm okay yeah. without that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna be like, I'm just gonna swim in guilt. Yeah, no, I was like, probably me too, but I'm just gonna like, like come. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's eat a cheese plate together, you know? Can I have a guilt relieving massage, please? Because that, that would yes. work out. Perfecto. <laughs> All right, uh, Shani, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, it was a pleasure. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Um, thank you so much. You know, this is my my fir- first podcast, so I'll remember it forever. <laughs> we will remember you forever. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe slash rate slash review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at TNDPod, on Twitter at TherapistsNDPod, all one word, or visit our website at TNDPodcast.com. We've got a Patreon. It's pretty cool. It's patreon.com slash TNDPodcast. There's lots of cool stuff there. Um, If you would like to email us and just like let us know what's going on, uh, our email is therapists uh, next door at gmail.com. That's a plural therapist. If you are a therapist or someone who works in mental health and you're interested in being on the podcast, feel free to send us an email as well. Um, and I'll plug my own website. It's uh, orianatherapy.com. I'm offering telehealth for adults in Pennsylvania, focusing on anxiety and depression. And uh, Sarah. Would you like to That's plug me. as well? That's yes. me. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at teletherapy with Sarah. And you can find my website at teletherapywithsarah.com. I specialize in treating professional millennials from working class backgrounds. Come and get rid of your internalized stigma or at least make it not as loud. We'll talk. Yeah. Until next time. We are your, are your therapists next, next door. <laughs> I keep trying to make it sound like you're echoing me. And- oh. And then I slow down and then it's just like yes. a weird like study. <laughs> All okay, right. Bye. bye.